Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and they do great work. You can find out more. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, he's an author, constitutional scholar, and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, and author of 10 books. The newest coming out is Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, pioneering the space frontier that he co-wrote with Buzz Aldrin. It is November the 17th, and on this day in 1869, the Suez Canal, connecting the Mediterranean and Red Seas, was inaugurated in an elaborate ceremony attended by the French Empress Eugenie, wife of Napoleon III. In 1854, Ferdinand de Lesseps, the former French consul to Cairo, secured an agreement with the Ottoman governor of Egypt to build a canal 100 miles across the Isthmus of Suez. An international team of engineers drew up a construction plan, and in 1856, the Suez Canal Company was formed and granted the right to operate the canal for 99 years after completion of the work. Construction began in April of 1859, and at first digging was done by hand with picks and shovels, uh, wielded by forced laborers. Later, European workers were with dredgers and steam shovels arrived. Labor disputes and the cholera uh, epidemic slowed construction, and the Suez Canal was not completed until 1869, four years behind schedule. On November the 17th, 1869, the Suez Canal was opened to navigation. Ferdinand de Lesseps would later attempt unsuccessfully to build a canal across the Isthmus of Panama. When it was opened, the Suez Canal was only 25 feet deep, 72 feet wide at the bottom, and 2 to 300 feet wide at the surface. Consequently, fewer than uh, 500 ships navigated in its first full year of operation. Major improvements began in 1876, however, and the canal soon uh, grew into one of the world's most heavily traveled shipping lanes. In 1875, Great Britain became the largest shareholder in the Suez Canal Company when it bought up the stock of a new Ottoman governor of Egypt. Seven years later, in 1882, Britain invaded Egypt, bringing a long occupation of the country. The Anglo-Egyptian Treaty of 1836 made Egypt virtually independent, but Britain reserved rights for the protection of the canal. After World War II, Egypt pressed for evacuation of British troops from the Suez Canal Zone, and in July 1956, Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser nationalized the canal, hoping to change charge tolls that would pay for construction of a massive dam on the Nile River. In response, Israel invaded in late October, and British and French troops landed in early November, occupying the canal zone. Under pressure from the United Nations, Britain and France withdrew in December, and Israeli forces departed in March 1957. That month, Egypt took control of the canal and reopened it to commercial shipping. Ten years later, Egypt shut down the canal again following the Six-Day War and Israel's occupation of the Sinai Peninsula. For the next eight years, the Suez Canal, which separates the Sinai from the rest of Egypt, existed at the front line between the Egyptian and Israeli armies. In 1975, Egyptian President Anwar el-Sadat reopened the Suez Canal as a gesture of peace after talks with Israel. Today, dozens of ships navigate the canal daily, carrying more than 300 million tons of goods a year. The story of the Suez Canal, uh, replete with lots of War and uh, violence. Interesting. I just saw this story before the show came on, so I'm not going to elaborate too much on it, but it is so important. Apparently, Pfizer lied about the number of individuals who died during their COVID vaccine trials. The number of uh, deaths during the clinical trials was 21 and not 16 as originally reported. This was four more deaths than the clinical trials control group. Four more than the control group, if you can imagine. So Pfizer lied about their deadly trials and just reported their greatest earnings ever. 
But when did the arrest start? The story was broken by Alex Berenson, if you've read any of his material, which is really outstanding, about, uh, he writes mainly around COVID. I encourage you to uh, take a look at it, do some research. I'll be reporting back on this as soon as I get more information. So interesting. Misreporting the results on trials from Pfizer. A three-judge panel on the Fifth Circuit of Court of Appeals has now permanently blocked OSHA from implementing and enforcing its vaccine rule, which impacts employers nationwide. This is not the end of the judicial road, of course, for the vaccine rule. Challenges to the rule were filed in multiple circuits, courts across the country. While there are multiple filings like these, a multi-circuit lottery system is utilized for the purpose of consolidation and clarity. All of the appeals are consolidated before the circuit court selected in the blind lottery, which will then hear the challenge to the rule. The lottery is expected to take place on about Monday, November the 16th. If uh, first Fifth Circuit is not selected in the lottery, then another appeals court will have an opportunity to issue the controlling decision here, which could, uh, among other things, lift the First Circuit stay. After that, regardless of the outcome, the Supreme Court would likely have the final word. With judicial review continues on COVID-19 jab mandate, the decision by the Fifth Circuit provides a glimpse of sanity in otherwise what appears to be a clown world. Ultimately, the OSHA rule will likely make it into the United States Supreme Court. It just re- This reminds me, November the 16th, of course, was this week, so we haven't heard anything yet on who will oversee uh, this this uh, this uh, court hearing. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis spoke at Rookery Bay National Estuarine uh, Research Reserve yesterday about robust state support of Everglades restoration, environmental protection, and water resources. Fresh into office, DeSantis made an announcement of $2.5 billion over his four-year term to support Everglades restoration and clean water in the state. And he said, well, I'm proud to be able to report not only have we been on target to meet these, we're on target to far surpass that, the governor said Tuesday. Not only are we going to have $2.5 billion over these four years, once the next budget goes in, we may even get the $3 billion for that. And so we'll be able to double what has been done for us in four years before I took office. This year, he said, $660 million has gone towards Everglades restoration and another $300 million for water resource protection. Funding has also gone to spring restoration, Burmese python removal programs, harmful harmful algae bloom mitigation, and alternative water supply grants, he said. I'm pleased to say that our recommendations and as we work with the legislature in the next year's legislative session, we will not only have to keep our promises and met the standards that we set, we'll also have exceeded what we promised to do, he said proudly right here in the Naples area, at yesterday making those comments. Well, I'm sure you've heard that Judge Bruce Schroeder retired the jury for the evening around 5.50 yesterday after the first day of deliberations of the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. The 18 jurors who have been hearing the case reported to the courthouse at 9 a.m. Rittenhouse then drew a slip of paper out of a raffle drum to determine the six alternates the 12 remaining jurors, seven women and five men, deliberated all day aside from a lunch break around noon. The judge said it's been standard practice for at least 20 years in the courtroom for a defendant to randomly select the jurors. Jurors requested copies of uh, page one through six of the jury instructions in the morning and then requested the balance of the 36 pages in the afternoon. Uh, they will also report back to the courthouse on Wednesday morning to resume deliberations. Another piece of breaking news that I heard this morning is that apparently the prosecution withheld evidence in the form of video of uh, what happened on that day on November the 25th, uh, for which uh, Rittenhouse has been charged with crimes of murder. Uh, And uh, it wouldn't surprise me then, no matter what the verdict is, well, especially if the verdict is guilty or on any count, that the judge will dismiss with prejudice. He certainly should under these circumstances. In another very interesting development, a letter addressed to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland on Tuesday, Representative Jim Jordan wrote that a whistleblower had revealed that the Federal Bureau of Investigation is using its counterterrorism division to investigate parents. 
Last month, during your testimony before the Judiciary Committee, you testified that the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation were not using federal counterterrorism tools to target concerned parents at local school board meetings, he wrote in this letter. We're now in receipt of a protected disclosure from a department whistleblower showing that the FBI's counterterrorism division is compiling and categorizing threat assessments related to parents, including a document directing FBI personnel to use a specific threat tag to track potential investigations, the letter continues, calling into question the accuracy and the completeness of your sworn testimony before Congress. Uh, Jordan Letter goes on to outline that during Garland's uh, October 21st testimony, he stated the department and its components were not using counterterrorism statutes and resources to target concerned parents. A lot of folks now are thinking that he should resign. This guy could have been our Supreme Court justice. He's not. Fortunately, he looks like a political hack to me, certainly operating under the uh, directions of this administration and not acting as an independent uh, attorney general, in my opinion. Should He should resign. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's callyourseniorresources.org or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, not only building a 43,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples, but bringing you also professional New York-style theater at its very best. I hope you get tickets now at the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. 
Thank you, Bob. I want to pick up on our discussion that we started last week about anti-discrimination laws and the right to discriminate. It seems kind of contradictory, but uh, apparently libertarians also believe private parties have a right to discriminate, so let's pursue that. Uh, why not leave, for example, the question of same-sex marriage question up to each state rather than uh, having federal laws about it? Well, the states do have uh, broad discretion in uh, fashioning rules for uh, same-sex marriage and lots of other issues. But th that discretion is not unbounded. Uh, for example, states have, they don't have carte blanche to enact gun regulations. They can enact them, but it's not without constraint. And they can decide what punishment to impose for various crimes. But if the gun regulations go beyond the Second Amendment or the punishments are cruel and unusual, then the U.S. Constitution comes into play and sets the outer limit for state-by-state -state, uh, experimentation. So the notion of federalism, it allows states, for example, to recognize same-sex marriage, and other states may decide, no, we're going to privatize marriage altogether, or we're going to call all marriages domestic partnerships or some other variation. But what federalism doesn't do is it doesn't exclude compliance with the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So the states can't discriminate mm -hmm. without some really compelling justification by, for example, recognizing heterosexual marriages but not recognizing homosexual marriages. That's what the... Uh, the 14th Amendment now has been interpreted to me. Mm, so interesting uh, clarification. Shouldn't each state be able to promote procreation, child-rearing, traditional marriage? Yeah, that's a, a popular line among those who are against uh, same-sex marriage that, you know, there's, you can't procreate same-sex couples. Well, you know, we endorse birth control and we subsidize contraception and we have a, you know, we allow abortion. So that's not exactly what you call promoting procreation. Yeah. And we allow pe uh, elderly people to get married, even though they can't procreate. And even infertile people who can't procreate, they can get married. Uh, and same-sex couples, before this Supreme Court case, couldn't marry, even though they could and did adopt. And lesbians could not marry. Uh, again, before the Supreme Court case, even though they are often natural mothers. Um, so, you know, some states allowed opposite-sex couples to marry even if uh, they had no ability or no intent to bear children. Uh -huh. And then those same states might borrow, bar, bar same-sex couples from marrying even if they could have kids, in some cases already did have kids. Mm -hmm. So I think the procreation thing is a red herring. The child-rearing, you know, there are studies that show that children do just as well when they're raised by same-sex uh, parents. And as far as promoting traditional marriage, you know, heterosexual marriages are not going to be affected by allowing gay marriages. So just because I say, uh, or the court says you can marry if you're gay, doesn't mean that some other couple can't marry right. if they're heterosexual. Um, in fact, we had a state witness uh, in the Prop 8 case in California. You may recall Prop 8 actually barred gay marriage. And there was a witness for the state who was in favor of barring, barring gay marriage. And he testified that if gay marriage were to be legalized, it would mean fewer children in state institutions and lower divorce rates and reduce government costs and, of course, a lot less anti-gay prejudice. So even though those arguments, you know, procreation, child-rearing, they're, they're uh, raised frequently, I think they're, they don't have uh, merit. This whole discussion reminds me of the movie Birdcage, <laughs> where the kid was raised. It seemed like a pretty normal kid to me, so that certainly helps make the case. So yeah. <laughs> if states can't ban same-sex marriage, how about incest and polygamy? Yeah, those are tough questions. Uh, the, the first requirement is there has to be consent between the marital couple. So you, you can't have a father and an underage daughter uh, getting married because uh, the underage daughter is not doesn't have the capacity to consent. And the second requirement is that there's there's no injury to any third party 
that doesn't consent. So if you had a polygamous marriage and one of the wives uh, didn't like it, uh, that wouldn't uh, qualify because, again, you couldn't have consent. And then there's a third requirement that you have to have full disclosure of all the risks. So if there's an incestuous relationship and there were undisclosed uh, but proven, scientifically proven, biological risks, that would be a problem. And it would also be a problem, of course, if you could show that these kinds of couples, <clears throat> incestuous couples or uh, polygamous uh, arrangements, um, showed high evidence of child abuse or wife abuse or drug or alcohol abuse. So the real constitutional framework is the same one we have for lots of other <clears throat> rights, and that is that there is a right to liberty. The right isn't absolute, but it does establish a presumption in favor of consenting individuals, and they can engage in any act that doesn't visit harm <clears throat> on non-consenting bystanders. So government can step in and regulate that, but government has the burden. And that means government has to show that the regulation uh, addresses <clears throat> excuse me, a compelling public problem, that the regulation is going to be effective in addressing the problem, and that you couldn't get equivalent results in some other manner that didn't compromise the uh, the liberty interest. And that's the framework we have for lots of our constitutional rights. So we, you know, we have free religious exercise, but you can't have human sacrifice as part of the ritual. Yeah. <laughs> we have free speech, but you can't incite to riot. Uh, so those rights are not absolute. Neither is the right to marry. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're not constitutionally guaranteed. That's such an interesting discussion. It's so important, by the way, in terms of understanding the framework legally, uh, according to our Constitution, as opposed to the prejudice and ideas that people are promoting uh, politically right now. Shouldn't states be able to encourage domestic partnerships or religious values? You know, <clears throat> separate is never equal. And uh, Prop 8, for example, in California, separated Americans into different legal classes based on who they are. And that's stigmatizing. So it wasn't just about uh, visiting loved ones in the hospital or health care benefits. It's, it's about whether it's okay for government to treat people differently under the law. Mm -hmm. So even if there were a rational basis for banning gay unions, I don't see how there could be a rational basis for allowing gay unions, but saying, oh, you have to have a different label for them. <laughs> Just imagine if we had a different label for interracial unions. There would be an outcry justified. Mm -hmm. As far as religious values are concerned, you know, the gay marriage case doesn't have anything to do with religion. Churches are always free to choose which marriages they want to recognize and which marriages they don't want to recognize and perform. This case is about government's role, not private churches. Government's role in issuing marriage licenses. Yeah, so interesting. Such an interesting discussion. Bob Lee, again, chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website and find out more about this terrific uh, think tank in Washington, D.C. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of uh, Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. 
Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board. Among things that they do is create policies and programs to help people get off of welfare and back to work, and that's able-bodied folks. I hope you find out more by visiting the website thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. So, Andy, uh, be curious. I'm quite certain you're uh, following the Rittenhouse case. I wanted to get your comments and thoughts. Well, especially- I, I think follow one of the states that it's dominating my, my thinking process, uh, oh. and I, I'll talk a lot about that. Let me just make a few opening comments. Uh, the good news for today, it was very hard to find today, Bob, believe me. <laughs> uh, one piece of good news is that Merrick Garland is not on the Supreme Court. I, I think as we look at his testimony before his, uh, questioning by uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, he, he overtly lied in terms of his saying that he never had any intent to uh, declare parents uh, to be eligible, to be uh, uh, challenged by the counterterrorism unit. And uh, the day before, there was a memo that exactly said that same thing. So we have in Merrick Garland, a man who to me, Bob, this is my personal opinion, obviously, has exposed himself as being an intellectual lightweight, and I think there's a moral challenge that, that we could offer uh, towards Merrick Garland. So I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased that this man is not on the Supreme Court and that Gorsuch is at, at this point, Bob. Uh, the second piece of good news, and uh, let me just introduce this by saying I am not encouraging anyone to not get vaccinated. So uh-huh. that's a personal decision. I have no right to offer a view either way on this. But some recent numbers that just came out, I think, are worth uh, worth keeping in mind. Uh, in Singapore, with an 85% vaccination rate, they have hit new highs in cases and deaths. Iceland, 77, 77% vaccination, same thing. Ireland, 76%. Netherlands, 74%, and our state with the highest vaccination rate has has hit new record highs. That's Vermont at 72% vaccination rate. Uh, now, I'm, the only point I'm making is that the, the vaccine, as it's been described, and we talked about this briefly last week, does not seem to be a true vaccine. This is, again, this is my viewpoint based on extensive reading, so I'm, I'm not claiming any uh, scientific uh, uh, awareness that's beyond the, what's available to anyone. Uh, but again, we're looking at a process that seems to be therapeutic. Uh, it, it's uh, therapeutic not in terms of the true vaccine preventing. So we're, we're looking at a circumstance that I believe is... Uh, uh, is, is hyperbolic in its response. I think that uh, that statement is certainly justified. And I believe, and I predicted this multiple times, even on your show, I believe this, uh, this COVID-19 uh, uh, panic over the pandemic is going to extend through the 2022 election. Yeah, you have said that many times, Andy. I don't know if you heard the news this morning, but uh, uh, Alex Berenson broke the fact that, uh, that uh, Pfizer lied about their trials, human trials, 
uh, before uh, moving forward with the vaccine. In other words, the number of people died was greater than they reported out-and-out out lies. So uh, there is more coming out about this, and I, I totally agree with your comments. Well, the, the, the number I've heard, not specifically about the Pfizer situation, but I, I know the, uh, the Pfizer vaccine has been banned for the, for, uh, the younger recipients in Taiwan. Um, six European countries have suspended the use of Moderna for the very young. And if we look at the overall deaths uh, associated with this worldwide, the, vac the vaccine, the vaccines, actually, uh, it's 18,000 deaths associated with this. This is more deaths than associated with all vaccines that have been administered in human history. Bob. Right. So, again, this is a there's a large number of vaccinations. So that's a that may not be a large number, 18,000. But when we compare it to the use of other vaccines and the mortality rate, it is an extreme uh, illustration of the the threat that that vaccine may may offer to certain recipients, Bob. Well, so this, this question is somewhat rhetorical, I admit. But can you help me understand why taking more vaccine that hasn't worked up to this point is a good thing? <laughs> In other words, the solution... Well, this, this is one of the, the major ways the left approaches any issue. They do X. Uh, and they say at the end, if X has worked, they say, we, we did it. We accomplished that, that end process. If it doesn't work, they say, we didn't do enough of it. And this is an example of that, Bob, that uh, if X hasn't worked and it hasn't, then they have to do X plus Y. And that would be the booster or the third shot yeah. in, this, in this sequence. And it's not going to end there, obviously. This is going to be, I think, uh, they have every intent to make the booster process and maybe multiple injections over long periods of time, an ongoing phenomenon for the American people, Bob. Yeah, uh, unfortunate indeed. So uh, about uh, the Rittenhouse case, uh, it seems to me the man is totally innocent of the charges. The charges should not be. In fact, uh, I, I found out this morning that the uh, prosecutors withheld evidence. And uh, in fact, the, he, now the judge has grounds to throw the case out with prejudice, irrespective of the jury's decision. What are your thoughts? Well, Mark, Mark Richards has made the statement that uh, the prosecution uh, and has documented that the prosecution did withhold evidence. Uh, and I think that that can be proven. Uh, Schroeder has kept in abeyance his ruling on the uh, mistrial with prejudice. Uh, it's debated as to why he's withheld it. I think uh, the most optimistic uh, way of uh, analyzing that from my point of view is if the jury found uh, Rittenhouse guilty, uh, that Schroeder may be holding that in abeyance to reverse the finding of the jury. Uh, now, will the jury find him guilty? As you indicated, Bob, all evidence that we saw, every piece of it, every shred of it, indicated that this man is not guilty, certainly not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. I think we could probably extend that beyond any doubt. Uh, and yet there is a chance that this jury might do that. Uh, there is a rumor that I just was uh, made aware of this morning coming from a <clears throat> excuse me, United States Marshal that right now the, the jury is at 10 for not guilty, 2 for guilty. The two that are pushing for the guilty uh, uh, sentence and charge uh, have in fact verbally uh, expressed the fact that they feel they're under and their families are under serious threat. In other right. words, it is not a hidden type of agenda item for these two jurors. It is overtly exactly why they're going to say, why they want to say not guilty. Yeah. So yeah, it's dubious whether or not two jurors uh, can convince 10 that uh, they should go with the guilty verdict. Uh, on the other hand, um, it is not impossible. It worries me that the jury has been out this long. Again, getting back to your statement and my reinforcement of it, the evidence seems so overwhelming for not guilty uh, that um, it's hard to imagine why they had a debate for, for this extended period of time. Bob. Well, it's because of the power of the mob. Uh, they, we saw what happened to Kenosha while uh, why Kyle Rittenhouse was actually there in the first place. I think the concern is the same thing could happen, and a lot of violence could be directed towards jurists. So I think they're concerned about the, their personal safety as well as the safety of their families. So here again, we're giving too much power to the mob. But again, that indicates a, a potential problem, obviously. I, uh, I haven't been really thrilled with the defense offered by Mark Richards. Uh, he's done an adequate job, but not, not, I thought, a very good job as a defense attorney. On the other hand, to even have an attorney uh, accept the Rittenhouse case uh, is, is really commendable. 
uh, an act of overt heroism because Mark Richards is going to be a marked man from this point forward, regardless regardless of the of the verdict. <clears throat> if we look at Rittenhouse himself, I think I think what we've seen, Bob, is a young man who should be uh, honored as a as a fine example of uh, what may lie ahead in America's future. A man who has uh, a young man who has volunteered consistently to help his community. A man with a high level of spirit con- of, of uh, social consciousness. Uh, this is a fellow that showed up the night of those shootings uh, uh, with a uh, with an M- uh, an AR-15, certainly, but. Uh, he, the first thing he did was wipe off graffiti. Uh, he never overtly used the uh, the weapon in terms of any aggressive motion whatsoever. Uh, I think the 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 statements by Binger that he uh, was the pursuant in this process uh, were put to lie by the, by the videos, and yet Binger has uh, insisted on those and gone along with those. And by the way, Bob, the left wing media has essentially not changed any of, any of its positions on yeah. Rittenhouse, uh, even with the overwhelming mass of information that the public's been exposed to. This is uh, absolutely outrageous. Uh, I certainly uh, feel for Rittenhouse himself, but uh, I think there are certainly larger issues on the table. The very nature of our justice system, the nature of our adversarial court system, and I'll say a few words about that in a second, but let me let, let me just stop there, Bob. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and taking a step back, I think you're probably expressing in cons- or, uh, cons- uh, the concerns that I have, which is we have a dual system of justice right now, and uh, this is clearly uh, judicial activism. It is uh, focusing on, it's appeasing the mob as opposed to seeking justice. Justice is not blind under these circumstances. And when you referenced uh, Merrick Garland and earlier what he is uh, planning to do now with the domestic terrorism charges against parents. I mean, all these, then there's so much injustice going on right now. Why aren't we focusing on getting the real bad guys as opposed to taking things out? And this young man, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, to me appears to be a fine young person with good values. He's going to have the stain of having his gun, irrespective of whether he's innocent or not, having shot a couple of people and killed them. Uh, it's not murder, but nevertheless, uh, I wouldn't want to be carrying that burden around for the rest of my life. And certainly he'll be a marked man regardless of, of the verdict. Uh, certainly I hope he's found not guilty. He is. Uh, this isn't some sort of a political position that I'm taking or you're taking. Right. Uh, I think it's the obvious position that should be taken if, if truth is our concern. Uh, and that gets back to the concept of there are two types of, of uh, judicial systems that, that are practiced. One is called adversarial, one is inquisitorial. Uh, we are in an adversarial situation. I won't say a lot about the inquisitorial, except it gives the judge the major control over the flow of what's happening with both the prosecution and the defense. And in a inquisitorial system, winning the trial, winning the result of that trial, is not the purpose. Truth is the purpose. On the other hand, in our adversarial system, the one we have, uh, it's a competitive system uh, where winning matters more than almost anything else. Mm -hmm. That winning need in a competitive circumstance inherently corrupts the system. It also provides a circumstance where the best story wins. So in other words, the best lawyer or the best prosecutor as compared to a defense attorney will will win these uh, cases. And it often results in plea bargaining. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen here. Uh, Plea bargaining puts the uh, perhaps an innocent defendant in a horrible situation. Let's say, as an example, uh, in a plea bargain, they may get two years. If they go to trial, they may get 30 uh, so an innocent person is prone to accept that lesser uh, a, a penalty, even if they are totally innocent of right. the charge, Bob. Uh, so I think we have to reevaluate our entire uh, judicial system. I, I think it has to become more inquisitorial rather than adversarial. I think that leads to some very bad and corrupted results. Well, I will, I will say this, that I think both systems seek justice. Both the systems should seek the truth. Unfortunately, when you have, uh, uh, for example, withholding evidence by the prosecutors, I mean, there, there are rules of the game, if you will, in, in, the, in our judicial system. Unfortunately, they're not being paid attention to. The people are not abiding by these rules. And to your point about uh, plea bargaining, uh, this is a very corrupt system right now because people are, for example, uh, Michael Flynn, Deciding to go ahead and uh, plead guilty to something that he didn't do to protect his family because they threatened 
to his family. They threatened his son. And uh, I think just an, one example of how this whole plea bargaining system could be used that, that doesn't seek justice. It actually uh, reinforces the lack of justice. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Bob. If Rittenhouse is found guilty, uh, and I hear someone say, well, the American justice system has worked and we must respect it. I'm, <clears throat> I, I don't know how I react to that. This is a, a corruption, if, if found guilty, of course. This would be a corruption of our system that is uh, not explanatory. It, does, uh, it, it allows for no explanation other than, the, as you've described it, the political pressures, the, the threats of violence. And, and right now, that seems to be the major democratic uh, tactic in, in many different areas, this, uh, this overt or even covert threat of violence that, uh, that they've used consistently over the past year and a half or perhaps even, even two years. So uh, it's, a, it's a situation that I think uh, the, uh, we must be more uh, aware of, not in the specific sense of Rittenhouse, but in the larger sense. Uh, if we keep in mind that Binger is the representative of the state, of the government, therefore he represents us. He is a representative of the citizens of that particular political environment. Uh, and to watch this man perform in this outrageous manner, I think, is an assault on the dignity of the people, an assault on the judicial system. And in some way, the future must not allow for someone like Binger to be what he was during the Rittenhouse trial. Bob. Yeah, and just to reinforce your point, I mean, right now we have Steve Bannon, who's been indicted because of uh, contempt for Congress and, and not showing up in order to testify. Uh, it just took a few hours for all that to happen with uh, great fanfare and so forth. Obviously, uh, he's a political prisoner here. Uh, there been, For example, Eric Holder was found in contempt of Congress, and nothing happened with him, and he's just one example of many. The people have lied to Congress about Fauci, in, <laughs> for one. In fact, he was given the opportunity, Fauci, to take back his statements, and uh, the, uh, the senator, good senator, Rand Paul, said, uh, well, he said, here's your chance to take back what you said. And he still lied to Congress. He doubled down. What's going to happen as a result of that? So far, nothing. Nothing's nothing, going to happen. Nothing. I, actually, Bob, there have been uh, many, multiple uh, uh, challenges of contempt of Congress. Uh, none of them have ridden to the level of indictment uh, before Bannon and, and, and now Meadows. So I, I think we're looking at a situation that is obviously political, yep. uh, and th there has to be something we can do. There has to be, getting back to one of my previous essays, there has to be a threshold of action for the American people. In other words, the threshold would be, at what point does it demand that dramatic action? And I'm not suggesting what that should be, Bob. I'm just suggesting we cannot continue to allow this system to disintegrate in every one of its components and just sit idly back waiting for the final death of America, Bob. We just cannot do that. I agree with that. In the meantime, though, this administration is having its own problems. I don't know if you heard the story about uh, Kamala Harris now. The, uh, there's uh, a rumor swirling around, and there's certainly more substance to this. I mean, this is not just a rumor. Chad Pergram, who is uh, you know, one of the top resources for Fox News, was told to familiarize himself with the process in the House and Senate for replacing the Vice President of the United States. So apparently, uh, things could come to a head. Apparently, you know, It may be that uh, the president is going to ask the uh, vice president to resign, or she may be threatening to quit if she doesn't have more power. I'm not exactly what sure what's going on behind the scenes, but uh, this is a pretty significant story. As you're saying that, I'm wondering if, our, if uh, Amendment 25 can be used to remove the vice president as well as the president. I, um, I, I'm guessing it can, but I, I'm not sure at this point. you have any thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah, I, I think this is simply directed towards the President of the United States as a, a main decision maker. I'm not sure the 25th Amendment can be used in that sense. I, I, I haven't, don't have it here in front of me, but uh, I'm not sure that's an alternative. So uh, either she quits or, uh, you know, they... Uh, you know, impeach her. That's that's another choice as well. So, but but the, what I think this demonstrates is the turmoil within the Biden White House right now, and things are not well. And uh, she is struggling. Oh, my goodness, any personal appearance she makes, it just goes from bad to worse. She is awful. Well, there's no doubt, and that's been true from the very beginning. Kamala Harris is is has fulfilled every one of my expectations and maybe multiple <laughs> factors of that in terms of incompetence, generally the general dislikable personality. But having said that, uh, I find that the, the right, the conservative right, is 
uh, putting all of the blame of the current dysfunction uh, in our society, in our culture, in our economy on Biden and to a certain extent on Kamala Harris. Uh, on the other hand, if they jettison, I said this point last week, yeah. uh, if we if if they jettison Biden, uh, then they'll be able to move away uh, from who has been uh, accused of being the fault, the cause uh, of these problems. So I think we have to start defining these problems as problems of the Democrat left and not problems of Joe Biden. Uh, I think that is a, a dangerous thing to do because I think if Biden goes, uh, certainly the, the left should maintain the scar of of his dysfunction. Yeah, no. Uh, I hear so many. I'm sorry, Bob, you want to say something? No, no, I just, um, uh, you know, we're opining at this point, but what I would suggest is that it may be that uh, Biden, they want to jettison Biden at this point, but they don't have a good alternative but to put uh, Kamala Harris in the position of President of the United States is not satisfactory to them, and so therefore, or to me, quite frankly, but uh, they may be seeking another alternative uh, in order to jettison the guy who's responsible. They're going to blame all this on Biden. Well, they will. And, and again, I, I hope we understand this is the Democrat left that Biden, I don't think, has initiated anything on his own accord. <clears throat> I think he's been on the directives uh, from who the heck knows where, Bob, but certainly these are not uh, the directions of, of Biden's own choosing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to give the left any hints on this, but if, if they were to come up with a good presidential candidate in 2024, uh, I don't know his age, but I, I recently have heard Leon Panetta. Uh, who has a s significant background in the American uh, federal bureaucracy. Uh, and the man is, is seems actually sane. Yeah. To have a Democrat seem sane, and I, I really can't think of another one I would put that label on. But Leon Panetta at least sounds like a sane man, Bob. So interesting. Not sure that he's, I don't think he's ever been elected to public office, has he? No, no, he hasn't. He yeah, hasn't. it's so interesting. Well, great commentary. As always, Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. And again, as you point out, uh, everything is downstream from culture, and that's what we've been talking about. Absolutely. I, I genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Talk to you next week, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for pain management. Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence, serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books. His latest is What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. And what we're waiting on right now to be published, probably be a great Christmas gift, Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier, he co-wrote with Buzz Aldrin. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. Always appreciate your columns, too, that you write on uh, Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Your latest is 2022 Congress will persecute or prosecute Democrats' uh, serial scandals. Really interesting. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, and there might be a little bit of both, persecution and prosecution, <laughs> yeah. I think. So. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see, a, I, think, I think it's hopefully a pretty clear conclusion that we're going to have a Republican House uh, uh, representatives come the midterm elections, following midterm elections, and hopefully a Senate as well. And you know, one of the major changes I see happening is that, you know, the, the Trump administration, even, even before Trump was elected, was just besieged with all kinds of attacks and you know, Hillary's, Hillary's emails, and she wanted to dodge that and create this fabricated Russian collusion thing with Trump, and that dogged him even before he was elected all the way through his administration. And we have all the, you know, all these committees going after Trump and the impeachments and so on. But so all of these, all of these committees uh, currently are, of course, controlled by Democrats, and so you have Adam Schiff, who chairs the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and you got uh, Elliot uh, Engel in New York, who has the Foreign Intelligence uh, for, uh, House Affairs, Foreign Affairs Committee, and, and of course they've been very much behind the impeachment information and, and, and you know, saga, and uh, Claims, and you got Elijah Cummings, the House Committee on Oversight and Government uh, Reform, that went after General Flynn and uh, basically destroyed his life, or certainly attempted to, uh, to get at Trump. And then you have Jerry Nadler, who presides over Homeland Security and mm. basically the open southern border and all of these, these things. And you got you know, got the uh, House Committee on Financial Services Chair, Maxine uh, Waters, and along with uh, House Ways and Means Committee Chair uh, Richard Neal. And they've been going after Trump's tax returns and so on. So, so it's been a, been a pretty uh, bloody time for Trump uh, throughout his administration. Well, all those all those gavels will shift hands when the Republicans take the House, and I think we're going to see. We still have uh, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, and and he's not going to do any favors to the Republicans. He'll be busy chasing uh, parents for you know, <laughs> for being terrorists. But but uh, nevertheless, I think a lot of these. Investigations that have been the, the, the ones that are far more legitimate, at least in my view, Hillary's uh, Russian collusion scam that was kind of you know the trumped up uh, scam that was her thirty thousand uh, emails and many were destroyed you know, with hammers and so on, and some of them classified, and it's pretty clear now with Durham. I think it's very clear with Durham report early coming out saying that you know this this thing was a diversion, a distraction, intentionally to uh, you know the the uh, Trump collusion thing was was uh, really a distraction to call attention away from her her email problem, and we've seen some you know, some 
indictments now, and, and it's encouraging that Durham, you know, first of all, was is Kevin Kleinsmith, a kind of a low-level FBI attorney, and then <clears throat> higher up the food chain, Michael Sussman, who is close ties to the Democrat National Committee and, and, and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, has been indicted for lying to the FBI for saying that, well, he wasn't really working for any client uh, when he... Uh, shared information, at least allegedly, it was, it was alleged information about some kind of uh, back channel connection with Trump and uh, Russia's Alpha Bank, and and so on. And that was she's very much working for a client. She's working for he was working for Hillary Clinton and the mm-hmm. NC. And then we we now know that uh, you know there's you know this. Yurishenko, uh we know that the, the so-called uh, steel dossier, the dirty dossier, which more aptly we call the Hillary dirty dossier, was cooked up as a fabricated report. So we've got all of that, and you got the Biden laptop from hell, all of the Biden crime family influence peddling stuff that went on that that we all know about, but Basically, the FBI sat on the laptop for a very long time, and it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you know, the media didn't didn't uh, allow that information before the election, so that that was an issue. And then you got the the Afghanistan mm-hmm. debacle, where top military generals, Milley and so on, uh, and Frank McKenzie said that they had advised. Biden to hold some people back, you know, some of our American troops back, and I'm certain in Bagram, the air base there, and so on, and not, and they had warned him that Afghanistan was going to be overrun if if we withdrew all the troops, but Biden says, well, gee, I didn't know that. And so I think all of this, all of this stuff that's been held back is going to come to the fore, uh, unfortunately, a little bit late. Yeah. And you know, and I'll just pile on here. I would love to see a special pro- prosecutor assigned to the uh, November 3rd election of 2020. I just have a feeling that there's uh, uh, there's been a lot of obvious obfuscation up to this point and I think that that if we're going to really see good elections going forth in, in the future, we need to have a discovery of what exactly happened in 2020 because quite frankly, uh, professor, there is no way that Joe Biden got more votes than Donald Trump in that election. Uh, there had to be some sort of uh, obfuscation going on, some sort of crime going on to make that happen. Well, I think there's that. I think there's, I think there's certainly the, you know, the voting and, and the irregularities there and the targeting of key counties. And, and, and in response to that, I think we're seeing a lot of states beginning to clean up the voting rolls and, and checking on some of this vote harvesting with nursing homes and all that stuff that was going on, the drop boxes that were put in Democratic districts and so on. I think another another diversion, of course, the big one is this January 6th investigation. Which yes. I think it's another, just a, really a large diversion. It was it's clearly not an armed insurrection. Nobody's particularly proud of it, but I think they, as much as they can try to keep these these uh, particularly that issue in front of the public and have this red herring of uh, white supremacists and terrorists and so on. Well, we now worry about uh, Kenosha being burned down again yeah. because of a you know court you know, court uh, decision and and so you know we've had such bedlam, such mayhem and bedlam and craziness and uh, hopefully you know that. I think the midterms are so crucial, and we're seeing the critical race theory being exposed now. And and clearly, uh, I think the you know the Loudoun County, Virginia mm-hmm. parents uh, with their pitchforks have brought that to national attention in the New Jersey election. So finally, I, I feel like the uh, the tide is turning. I, I agree, Professor. And I can encourage our listeners to go to Newsmax.com, check out Professor Bell's column 
on point. You'll find it in Newsmax.com. The column, GOP 2022 Congress will prosecute Dems serial scandals. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy it, too. Thank you so much. My pleasure, indeed. By the way, again, the name of the book, Coming Out Beyond Flagpoles and Footprints, Pioneering the Space Frontier. Hope you enjoyed the show. That's a wrap on here on today's show. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. And he's President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Seat Motley is the founding president of Less Government. Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance and former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.